Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, go with me to, to Psalm 84. Um, I think I got it out of my system, but uh, we'll see. I almost didn't even make it through the first service. Um, I really struggled to... Uh, let me just say this. Thank you guys for, for praying for me. I, I can honest, I truly, honestly, 100% honesty, that moment of you guys praying for me is, is just as honoring and significant as, uh, as leaders from Bethel praying for me. It just means a lot. And so thank you so much. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've, I've been ordained since 2007, um, and it feels like maybe just kind of lateral move to another organization. But I'll give you just really quick little snippet. Uh, in 2007, I, I planned a church at the age of 18, um, and, and that was in 2005, 2005. And uh, in 2007, Dr. Brian Simmons, who was really like a spiritual father and just super invested in my life, he had a network of like 150 to 200 uh, ministries in New England that he had either ordained or helped start or was overseeing. And they had a whole network, and he really just saw my life and what my parents were building and what I was building and just wanted to come alongside and partner with us. So he ordained me. He brought me under his covering. A few years later, he retired. And when he retired, they liquidated the whole ministry. And I know this sounds weird because it's like ministerial licensing, but my, my license went into the ethereal cloud where I was licensed, but it, my, my licensing didn't belong to anybody. And so um, I had opportunities to join ministries and groups, but I'm a highly relational person. Does that make sense? Like, just super relational. And so I was like, I don't want to just join an organization because they're, like, famous or something. I want people that I can say heart to heart. We're knit together, pursuing a vision. I'm serving your vision. You're serving mine. And, and, and so I really waited a lot of years. And over the past few years of building a relationship with the leadership team at Bethel and inviting them out and building relationship and a lot of sacrifice that went into that, um, they, it was really honored to be brought in and, and ordained under the house of Bethel. So it was emotional. It was deep. I held that one tight to, to my chest. But thanks, guys, for reaching out and celebrating. And, you know, I feel like this is kind of a Kairos moment. It, it kind of feels like a super intense moment because this Sunday is actually the Sunday that marks 10 years. Like this is our anniversary, 10 years since we planted Kingdom Life Church. Next week we'll celebrate it. But just this ordination coming to the end of a season, the beginning of a new, and I love that we're ending 10 years, but I love so much more that we're starting 10 more. Is that all right? And um, I'm so excited for the future, but at the same time, I'm super nostalgic and weepy. So um, this week and next week, I'm just going to ask you to please have grace and buckle up and join me for the ride because it's going to be weird and bumpy and I'm going to be weepy and I'm going to tell stories and I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of that kind of stuff, but I'm really stepping back in this season and not only just seeing what God's done in the past, but I'm also dreaming for what out of the past has prepared us for what he wants to release in the future. And, um, and so in all of this, this Kairos moment of coming to a completion of 10 years, starting a new era of our church, coming under Bethel's leadership, which was a super emotional process for me, really personal. And I, I, I had to step back this morning and go, God, 
I'll never get this Sunday back. Like this Sunday won't, like I, I, it won't be the first Sunday after I've been ordained again. You know what I mean? And so I just told the Lord, I want to preach the most important message I've ever preached in my life. And so that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, and here's the stupid thing about it is what I'm about to preach, I have no ability to give to you. Like, what I'm about to preach, I, it won't produce anything in you in and of itself. There's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit that's partnered with it. And so, can you just quickly put a hand on your heart? I know we're doing a lot of praying and touch that person and pray for that person and head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? Um, but can you just pray, like, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and do a mighty work in me today. Don't just do the work that Jamie's talking about, but do the work that you want to do in me, Holy Spirit. And, and Father, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you could do today and that you would produce something, even if I just don't even say anything smart, that you would still show up and do incredible things in our hearts today. And uh, so, Father, we yield our hearts and we yield our minds to the move and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we submit ourselves to your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Psalm 84, are you there? Um, so I, I step back. Let me give you even more of an introduction, um, and then we're going to go expository. Um, I, so I, I, as I, as I step back, I... I began to think about when I was, I know that we're 10 years at Kingdom Life Church, but before 10 years of Kingdom Life Church, there was, there was another like seven to eight years um, that I was leading a thing called Crave. And it was a young adult church that was planted um, at the age of 19 or age of 18 going into 19. Um, I had this year of like really significant encounters with God, like really significant encounters with God. And God was visiting me in dreams. He was visiting me in his presence. He was leaving me shaken for hours. Um, I was in this place where um, I was was living this ridiculous life. I look back and none of it makes any sense. But it was just the only, like I had such a thing burning inside of my time. Every time God touched my life, something was so set on fire for me that I tried to explore the depths of my crazy to see what I can give back to him and like how I can give myself to him. So I was living this radical lifestyle when I was like in my, my junior, senior year of high school and God was visiting me and I, was, I wasn't going to bed until like two o'clock like in the morning and then waking up at like six o'clock in the morning. And it wasn't because I was just young and I, I was watching TV. It was because I was spending like nights and fasting and prayer and God was really visiting me there and I'd, I'd be less shaken on the floor by the power of the Holy Spirit that would come. And, um, and I would have dreams at night and I'd wake up in the morning and, and I, I don't know how I passed school those years um, I was actually like, I'd leave school on Friday and I'd literally drive out of the parking lot and I would drive to Connecticut for prayer meetings and then drive home, you know, for our like small group meetings. And I put 30,000 miles on my car, like in three or four months, just driving back and forth. I literally would go there for a meeting and then turn around and leave and come home. I, I was, I was in this place with just such hunger for the presence of the Lord that, um, I would write him letters every night. And in red, of course, because the Bible said those words, that color was more important. And so 
I'd I got like I specifically bought like red pens and I would write letters to the Lord and I would leave a space at the bottom and I'd put them under my pillow and every morning I would wake up with expectation that maybe he wrote back. Um, I, I would, lots of times I'd be like ministering to the Lord like in the word. I'd get tired and so I would say I'd rather, you know, I read the story about Jacob laying his head on the stone and that, you know, a ladder came down and I was like, I would ask God all the time, like, God, I want to I wanna ride on that ladder, you know? So I'd be in the Word, and when I get tired, I would, I would literally try to fall asleep on the Bible because I didn't have enough hours in the day to study it. So I hoped that maybe by, like, osmosis, something would make its way in, right? And um, I, I, I would sharpie, I would take a sharpie, mark. I was like literally like a lunatic. If you walked in my room, like you would consider I had mental illness because I would like writing scriptures all over my wall in sharpie markers, which was a terrible idea. And I'm so sorry, mom and dad. Um, but I was, I was drawing on the wall, like scriptures are burning in my heart. And do you guys remember the era of MP3 CDs? I literally spent every last dime that I had on MP, like on an MP3 player, so that I could buy those little mini discs that you could put up to 24 hours of music on, and I and and so I would load it with worship, and I would specifically load it with worship so that I could play it, so that when I was at school, at least the angels could minister to the Lord in my room, so that when I walked back into my room, His presence would be stewarded in my room, and I could walk right into a place of encounter with God. And I, I, I was living this, this, this wild pursuit of the Lord. And, and um, I, uh, I, in, in 2005, I had this one night where I had two dreams. Are, we, are you guys all right? Okay. I, I, we're going we're gonna to get into this, and we're just going to break it down together. But I just kind of wanted to set the tone for why I feel like this is the most important message of my life. Um, in 2005, I, I gave... Uh, I had a dream. I had been pacing in my room, like praying for students. I was praying, God, like send revival to my high school and God, like move upon my peers and God do this and God do that. I was pacing and I got tired. I laid down and I, and I went right into a dream. And in the dream, I was pacing in my room again. And I was praying what I was praying in the natural, but I was now praying at my dream, God, move in my school, do this. And all of a sudden, this big golden stairwell formed in my room. And in the dream, I, I just kept praying, and I started walking up the stairs. And I said, God, send fire on my generation. God, move on my generation. God, raise up a, a generation that's holy and that lives in purity. And, and I'm praying these things. I'm going up the stairs. And I look to the top of the stairs. At the very top of the stairs, there's an alarm clock. And I look at it, and I look and I see the numbers on the alarm clock, 24-6. And then all of a sudden, the alarm clock starts to, like, go off. Like, where, where, where? And, 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 and I wake up from the dream. I knew that it was about spiritual awakening, that God was going to release a spiritual awakening. And I, and I woke up from the dream in, on, the, on my bed, and I heard the Lord say, Psalm 24-6. And I ripped it open, and I looked. It says, this is the generation of those who will seek me, who will seek my face, O God of Jacob. And that reverberated in my heart that this would be a generation of those that will seek God. This would be a generation that would pursue the face of God. And I fall back asleep, and now I go to another dream. And this is a weird dream. How do you know God likes weird dreams? 
Never dismiss the dreams. Can't tell you how many times people come to me with a dream and they'll tell me all these things. And I'll go, you know what that means? They're like, no, it's pizza. And I go, oh, listen. And it will just explode once a little click of understanding comes in. And I was in, I, I, in, in the next dream, I, I was living on an island with children. Children everywhere. And we were on this island, and I, we look and we see there's a storm that's brewing out in the ocean. And it's raging, and the kids are freaking out and screaming, it's going to destroy the island. And they're panicking. And so I said, let's build a wall. And they go and they start getting heavy boulders and, and rocks. And these kids are piling a wall full of rocks. And it's heavy and it's gruesome, this process, and the storm is coming. It's going to wipe us all out. And we get the last boulder on, and the kid goes, it's not enough. There's one missing. There's one rock missing from the wall. It's not enough. The storm is going to tear it down. And this little girl behind me goes, oh, I know what's missing. And she runs. And she goes and she gets this thing, and she comes up. She goes, this is what's missing, and it's a bar of chocolate. Right? Just what you expected. No. And uh, she comes, she goes, this is what's missing. And she unwraps the chocolate and she puts it in place of the missing stone. And she shows me the, she shows me the wrapper and it says the secret place. And um, my, my life was being marked at that moment this year of encounters with the Lord, you know, I, I never really felt like a natural evangelist. Like in the midst of all of that, our church got planted because a, a hundred teenagers gave their, gave their life to Jesus in my high school in three months. And this like revival sweeps through my high school. It becomes the largest extracurricular activity in the entire secular high school. And it's causing problems. And we, so we plant a church and all these incredible things are happening. And, um, but you know what's wild when I look back on it is none of what I was doing makes any sense why that happened. I didn't know how to articulate the gospel to lead people to Jesus. I just didn't. I remember one of the first moments where revival started touching my high school was, was when uh, I was asked to, to uh, be the, the, uh, the uh, Bible study president of literally nobody. Was, there's nothing there. And I didn't know it was my responsibility to tell everybody about See You at the Pole. And they give out free posters. And you put them on your high school and you invite them to this event called See You at the Pole. Where students of faith would come together and pray for their school. And I didn't know. And so I brought my dad. Because I found out the day before. And I brought my dad. And a pastor showed up. And Miss Stephanie from health class. And she'd been there for 25 years. And You know what I mean, right? And, and, uh, and so Miss Stephanie, I go, how many people come to this? And she goes, well... One year we had 13, that was a really good year, but you didn't tell anybody, so it's just us. And I said, okay. And so, and I, and I said, sorry. And so then we held hands, and, um, and we began to pray. And as we began to pray, all of a sudden students started showing up, and they saw us praying. In the next five to ten minutes, over 50 kids joined this prayer circle. And God touched all those kids now, I wish I was the Apostle Peter in this moment. Acts chapter 2. 
Holy Spirit comes down and this dude has the most well-articulated explanation of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ and the new covenant. And he gives this wildly extraordinary gospel message. 3,000 people get saved that day. And I wish when I was 18 years old that I knew how to share the gospel like that. But you know what? That's not what I did. The school bell rings. We got five minutes. You know what I did? I looked at 53 kids around this flagpole. I don't know if any of them even know Jesus. If they're like compelled by the Holy Spirit. I should share the gospel and do an altar call. I should do the sinner's prayer or something. That's not what I did. I looked at that group and I said... Hey, God is real. His presence wants to come. Revival is coming to Meslonsky High School. Who will fast and pray for 40 days for revival? It makes no sense. We get together. I didn't teach them the foundations of Christianity when we got together. I didn't even know what those were. I'd put on soft music and say, God wants to speak to you. Lay on the floor until you hear his voice kids would start shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. They'd hear his voice. I began to grow in teaching all those foundations. I just didn't know what I was doing. All I know is that God had marked my life with the presence of God. And in the secret place, he kept showing up in ways. And I'd meet other Christians. And when I'd meet other Christians, I would talk about God as he's my friend. I would talk about the power of God and accessibility of God. I would talk about the glory of God, that smoky presence that shows up when he's in the room. I would talk about the Lord out of this place of experience and knowledge and insight and encounter. And I would talk to other believers. And other believers would talk to me out of ideas and religion and concepts uh, that they've learned throughout tradition and history and culture and society. And they didn't know God the way that I knew God. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that any other way than this, but I felt like my mission field was the church because I wanted to shake everybody and go, did you know that there's so much more? Did you know that there's so much more? Like the God of the book of Exodus is available right now. The God of the book of Acts is available to the new covenant church. Did you know that you can taste, touch, feel, experience day and night, night and day? And, and so my message was not a pure one of the gospel. I, was, I didn't know. I was just communicating at this place of encounter. Is that his presence is available. And kids were encountering God. And they were getting saved because they were experiencing the presence of God. And all they wanted was more of what they just felt on their life. And it resonated with this deep internal reality that I I was created for that moment that I just experienced. How do I get more? Does that make sense? And I realized, like, I want to make it really clear that the foundation, like our church and like what God was building, was not from experience, demonstration, power, miracles. It was longing for the presence of the Lord. And I want to make this distinction. Is that all right? And, and I, I want us to look at Psalm um, 84 because, you know, one, one of the things that I have found is that because of, like, thousands of years of, of church history and uh, the American indoctrination of the gospel and our church experiences and the division because of the messes of spirit-filled movements and blah, 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 blah. I just, I feel like we've, we've so reacted and built this idea that the majority of Christians see the secret place as a religious necessity, Christian discipline that's motivated out of need. 
But the reality is it's not a rock. It's not a boulder. It's the reward of our life that we get to enjoy. It's the sweetness of God. It's the candy of heaven. That God wants, it is the presence of God is not a heavy boulder that you have to carry around your neck. That if you don't do it, the storm's going to get you. And if you don't do it, then, then, then you're, everything's going to fall apart in your life. And if you don't do it, God's not going to be pleased with you. And I have found that people have boiled down the secret place to Bible study. And they've boiled it down to getting in your certain amount of times of prayer. And doing this program and doing this and doing that. But the secret place is not a program. The secret place is a secret place of longing in your heart that only the Lord knows and resonates with with you it's a deeply intimate personal place with God and that it's the hidden place of God it's the sweetness of God and it's the reward of your life is that all right I found that so many people have have pursued the secret place out of shame instead of out of the reward and the pursuit and the longing man I got to get that because man if I get that this addiction will break in my life the motivation is the breakthrough, the power, the shame, the condemnation, the things that I need and not his presence alone is the reward of my life. I want, would you look at Psalm 80, 81, or Psalm 84, I'm sorry. In Psalm 84, here's what I want you to imagine. David, um, imagine the chief musician, David, whoever wrote Psalm 84. I know there's some mystery around it, but I want you to imagine, let's just, let's just entertain David, right? And, and, and he's sitting on a bench in the park that's just outside of the temple. And imagine David or the chief musician is just sitting there. And they know that inside of that temple is the manifest glory of God. They know that inside of that temple is a smoky glory. They know that behind that curtain is a place that they can't get to. And all they want is the presence of God. And they're watching the birds come and fly in and they make their nests. But that bird went 10 feet further than that musician can go. And that bird is going a little bit further than this man can go. And they're watching them get close. They're looking at the pillars And they're looking at the house and jealousy fills her heart because of longing to be closer to the manifest presence of God. They're one their heart longs for. And listen to to Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Because you hear what he says, my soul's longing to a point where my soul and the emotions in me give out and faint when I consider how much I want your presence. Have you ever wanted something so much, but you couldn't have it, that your soul fainted within you without energy or ability because it was so overwhelmed by longing? This is what he's saying. My soul is literally giving out inside of me because I want your presence so bad. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Have you ever wanted something so bad that the hair on your arms is standing up that you can literally feel pain tremoring through your legs because they are immobile and can't access what they long for? My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even that sparrow that I just watched fly in has found a home 
And a, a swallow has actually made a nest in the rafters of your dwelling place where she may lay her young. Even your altars, those inanimate objects, how can they get closer to your presence than I even can? I would rather be that inanimate object than to be this far from you. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they will still be praising you. They won't ever stop. The occupation of their life will be to give glory to the Lord. You know what's wild about this? Is that he's sitting there longing to be the bird, longing to be the pillar, but he has no idea that God's inheritance for mankind would not be to bird, to be a pillar, or even to be a priest, but to be the very tabernacle itself. In John 16, verse 7, this like incredible um, you know, ministry of Jesus has come to the precipice of, you know, of, the, of the height of the ministry. The disciples are like Jesus. Our crowds have never been bigger. The miracles have never been better. The access to the nations is before us. We could franchise this thing. There's more disciples that are learning the way. We could go to the nations. We could cross borders. We've only just begun, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, hey, guys, just so you know, my ministry is actually coming to an end, and I'm going to die for you. And they go, what? We just started. And he goes, no. What you don't understand is it's better for you that I go Because if I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. Do you know what Jesus is saying in this moment? The disciples are satisfied. Go to bed at night. See you in the morning, Jesus. They're satisfied with, hey, you go get lunch. I'll go get lunch. We'll meet up and we'll do ministry. They're satisfied with at least we get to lay by the fire together and go to bed while we're on the mission field. They're satisfied with walking next to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this has been great, guys, but the Father's longing is that we would be even closer than this right now. This, what we are experiencing, Jesus, God in the flesh, on earth, walking and talking with you, is not close enough. Because this is a veil. Time is a veil. Flesh is a veil. What we're experiencing is a veil. And I'm not here to live behind a curtain with you. I I want to actually dwell inside of you. That that temple that I never leave over there, that you would become like that temple. And your heart would become a dwelling place for the very manifest presence of God. Because I don't just want this 24-7 access to you. I want an eternal access to you. Even when you rest on your bed, I want to actually speak to you in the night while you're unconscious. When you are in hidden places where in the flesh I can't go and you're being tempted with sin, I want to be able to be there as a loving presence gripping your heart with conviction. When you are being hurt and wounded and you're withdrawing yourself from relationship, I want to be a presence so real in your life that I can bring joy when nobody else can bring joy. That when lies are being echoed in your brain and nobody around you knows it, I want to be an internal voice that strikes down every lie and commune with your spirit when you don't even realize I am. I want unbroken communion with you for eternity. It's better for you that I go. This is not close enough. 
in Psalm 84, he's longing to be a bird, but he doesn't know that he's, the covenant that's being made between God and man is one that's going to allow man to become a dwelling place of the very manifest presence of God. I want you to consider the extent. Are you guys all right? I want you guys to consider the extent of the building of the temple. The golden laid altars. The sacrifices are being made. The divisions of priests. And when they come together, glory and clouds fill the room when they worship. The fear of the Lord, such manifest presence that, the, that, the, uh, that literally the, the, uh, the sinful or the lawless could literally die in the presence of the Lord. I, I want you to think about the, 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 the presence of God that parted waters and temples that were built that hosted his glory. And when you consider all of that, do you realize, do you realize that the, that the temple doesn't represent the church? It represents you. And did you know that priests who are sanctified for a life of ministering to the Lord, day and night, night and day, tending to the fire on the altar, filling the lamps, a life sacred and set apart for the purpose of ministering to the Lord. Do you realize that the priests don't represent pastors? They represent believers. That all of this was imagery for your life. That there would be a fire on your altar that would be tended to day and night, night and day. And that you would be like a priest whose life ministry and life reward is to minister to the presence of God all the days of your life. You know, in Ezekiel 44, verse 28, there's all this prophetic language about the covenant God's making with man and the new covenant people and all this different stuff. And, and it, it, it presents this idea like the Lord is saying, hey, priests of Levite, which are the Davidic priests, which are you, he's saying, all these guys, like, no more suffering under the law. You're gonna wear linen garments. Grace is coming. You're gonna minister to the Lord under grace and be faithful ministers and, saying all these beautiful things. And the final thing he says is, I want to talk to you, priests. I want to talk to you about your reward, the candy bar. I want to talk to you about your inheritance. And he says this, he goes, regarding their inheritance, don't give them land. Don't give them gold. Don't give them riches and silver. None of those things are their inheritance. I am the reward. I will give them myself. What is greater than all the inheritances of the world is the one that cannot be earned, but can only be given by God himself, which is his presence himself. This is the greatest reward of our life. The reward is not revival. The, the reward is not miracles. The reward is not healing my broken marriage. The reward is not inner healing. The reward is not spiritual breakthrough. The reward is not vision and giftings and callings and significance among men. The reward is not platforms. The reward is God himself, his presence. He is the reward. He is the pursuit He's the one, he's the only. There's no first and second and third. He's the only 
reward. The pursuit of our lives. The reward is not souls. The reward is not preaching the gospel. The reward is not scriptures. The reward, these are all wonderful byproducts. The reward is himself. Nothing but himself. Do we understand the reward of intimacy with God? To be known by God. To be acquainted to the voice of God. To have the inner voice of the Holy Spirit always present in our life. Do we understand the value and the reward of being able to come away with him? That when you're rejected and go so many different places and people hurt you and wounded, that there is a faithful friend that can preserve your heart and your value and your worth and nurture your, your inner man. That when you need wisdom, he's ready to give you wisdom from heaven. Do we understand the reward of the daily functioning person of the Holy Spirit in our lives? To enjoy his voice when he speaks. Is there anything better than when you hear the internal audible voice of the Lord speak to you and make himself clear? No man, woman, or experience can give you what the Holy Spirit can give you in an experience of intimacy with him. Are you all right? In Psalms 84, verse five, he goes on. I'm, I'm probably not gonna finish the verse, so I, I apologize. But blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. Even as they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. The crazy thing is about the secret place is that as much as we want to keep it a secret, God's really bad at keeping secrets. And what's, what I found about the secret place is that when you steward the secret place with God, where a place of sharing heart and, and longing, and you're in the word, and you're ministering to the Lord in a place of exchange with God, what's crazy is, is that you walk out and you think it was a secret, but the whole world can tell exactly where you've been. It's pretty wild when you come out of the presence of the Lord and you're, unbelieving friends come around you and go, what is that? I smell something different on you. You smell different. People get around you and they go, hey, what is that? I feel different when I'm around you. The, the reason is, is because those, those ones who set their hearts on hosting the presence of the Lord, he goes, they'll pass through the valley of weeping, but they will make it a place of springs and the God will water the ground and pools of water will begin to form. Do you know what the center of all life in that era was? It was water. I, I, in our world, I said in the first service, our world, the center of society is Walmart. It has what I need and they all they run to it. In Israel... In the desert, crowds would form around pools of water. And when a pool of water formed, the people came. Life came to it. 
because they knew that they that in the, in, a, in a place of dry and weariness that water changes everything that water is a source of life and it grass begins to grow and trees begin to bear fruit and fruit goes to the nations and and when fruit goes to the nations it creates an economy and so life happened around the pool and this is what he says he goes those whose heart is set like on this park bench saying, your presence is my reward. That's all I want. And they pass through hard seasons and all these things. If their heart stays on hosting my presence and creating the secret place, I will, I will cause where they stand to become a pool of water. And when there's a pool of water, all the people will come and drink. That secret place doesn't stay a secret for very long. And you can fight and try and do all that kind of stuff. But when you're in the secret place, your life will become an aroma of his presence. And the people will come because they want what you have. Why did so many kids get saved at the beginning of all this? Because I was living in a place and my life was a pool of water. And and, and the hunger and the thirst, the death trap of society was causing them to say, I want what you have. How many of you guys know that we are living in such a desperate era of society? They want pools of water. They're so hungry for a drink of his presence. Are there any pools that are stewarding the secret place where people can come and draw life from you? Man, the fruit of your life is not supposed to be created by your gifting, your talents, your abilities. That fruit withers and dies with seasons. But fruit that's born from his presence in the private place is fruit that endures through all seasons, in season and out of season. Ezekiel 47 Shows the trees standing on the banks of the river. It says there's trees, all kinds, growing the banks of the river. And their leaves did not wither and their fruit did not fail. Every month they bear fruit because, because the water that they draw their, from their roots flows from the sanctuary. When we live in that place, we bear fruit in season and out of season. In John 15, Jesus said, Remain in me as I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In 2 Corinthians, it says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the Lord's glory, are being transformed in his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The personal transformation, the fruit that will be born from your life will be born because you gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. You hosted his presence and he turned your life into a pool of water that will bear fruit and change atmospheres and people will come to drink from. I I don't want to lessen the value of foundations of the scriptures and a life of prayer and the disciplines. Please hear what I'm saying. But this is what he says after. He says, for better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousands elsewhere. Can I tell you, the secret place is better than this place. The secret place is better than this place. And there are so many beautiful places for us to experience God in the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. But I don't just want to read the scriptures. I want to encounter God in the scriptures. I want to, I, I want to commune with God in his word, not just read about God in his word. I want to steward a secret place from exchanging my life for his. 
And this is such a valuable, important message because I believe, I say this a lot, what got us here won't get us there. But let me say this, what got us here definitely will get us there. His presence. My my desire is that as a church, we would no longer treat the corporate expression of the church as a grocery market that when we run out of groceries, we come and we try to come and get what we need. Understand that needs to be that for some people at times. But I'd rather it not just be a grocery market for us to exchange what we need, but I'd rather it be a depository where all that we have experienced in the Lord, we can come in this place and pour it out at his feet again. I want this to be show and tell. Can you believe how God showed up in your life this week in my life? Can we exchange the stories of where we saw the presence of God and we hosted his glory and the way that he ministered to us and maybe life outside of this moment sucked, but the life of the presence of God in me was so extraordinary and beautiful and powerful. And I'm coming into this place from a place saying life is difficult, but God's glory is great. And I'm living in hosting his presence in the secret place. Is that all right? Why don't you guys stand with me?